0: 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. Uh, we uh, began a series a number of weeks ago back uh, in November. And uh, we'll be concluding this series next week, but we're looking at the issue of ministry standards. And uh, the issue, uh, if you in public ministry in our fellowship, you agree to a number of basically biblical standards. I've mentioned that some people call them fellowship standards. They're not really fellowship standards. They're biblical standards that our fellowship has embraced. Pastor Mitchell didn't make these up. The leadership didn't make these up. They are just that you agree to be a Christian. And throughout the Bible, we looked at, there are numbers of places of ministry standards that are put forward And so, we are going to examine a particular portion of Scripture where the Apostle Paul uses the understanding of ministry standards. So far, we've used it more as a pretext that I've read it. This is a list. There are lists in the Bible of standards. Here they are. But we're going to examine a little bit closer this list tonight because ministry is service before God. That's what it is. It's not in the sense that, uh, that you have a talent or an ability. My wife, when she was a young girl, her parents got saved, and they got saved in the Jesus People Movement. They actually got saved... It's a crazy story of how they got saved. They were supposed to go to a church event. They blew it off. Their friends had gotten saved, witnessed to them. They blew it off. They went to a hockey game on the way home They in a very serious car accident and almost were killed. The family that they were supposed to, uh, had that had witnessed to them, came over, talked to them. My father-in-law, who was a backslider, took a bunch of his painkillers to kind of check out. Uh, as soon as they walked in, he sobered up. Uh, and uh, that night, they thought, the couple that witnessed him, thought they got nowhere with them. And actually that night my mother and father-in-law kneeled down in their bed by their bed at 2:30 in the morning and received Christ as their savior. At that time there weren't a lot of churches on Cape Cod. The Victory Chapel wasn't there. They started going to one particular church where they paid the drummer. They paid him to be in service. And then after song service, as our musicians exit, he would exit. But he didn't come into the service. He went out back and started smoking cigarettes. He ended up getting a young girl in the church pregnant. And eight months pregnant, they married in the church service. Wasn't seen as a bad thing. In fact, it was just simply stated, well, at least he wants to marry. And of course, would you believe... Their marriage didn't last. Ministry is about service before God. It's not just about a talent. It's not just about an ability. We don't put ads in the paper. Sometimes in overseas situations, they're desperate. They might put an ad in the paper for a translator because you need that at first if you can't speak the language. And, uh, I, you know, I, at, at the end of 11 years in Lithuania, I could order a pizza pretty well. And uh, that's about it. You'll hear my wife and I talk Lithuanian sometimes. It's like our code. And the problem is, is if a Lithuanian heard us, they probably wouldn't understand us. We're not that good. But we're good enough that she can figure out what I'm saying at that moment. But the picture of what ministry is, it's a... Opportunity to serve God. It's an expression of worship. It's an expression of gratitude. That's what ministry is. It's not just a talent that you have. It is something that causes you to want to bring glory to God. And out of that, in the standards that Paul is going to list here, and we're going to examine a few of them in... Generalities. It would take to to minutely go through. I think there's 17 different uh, uh, standards and, and things he mentions and abilities and this and that. Uh, you know, we would be here for quite a while, and I'm sure you'd get mad at me if we did that. But let's look at a few general ones. First Timothy three, beginning in verse one, it says that this is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to be A church leader, he desires an honorable position, or in most translations, an honorable work. It says that, uh, so a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control and live wisely and be of a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. He must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, not love money. He must manage his own home, his own family well, having his children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of the church of God? A church leader must not be a new believer uh, uh, because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fail. So also, people outside the church must speak well of him. They must not uh, be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons must be well respected and have integrity. The mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clean or a clear conscience. Before they are appointed deacons, let them be closely examined. And if they pass the test, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives must be respected, not slanderous of others. They must exercise self-control, be faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife He must manage his children and his household well. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have an increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, it's speaking here of two different offices. There is the bishop, the pastor, the leader of the church, and then there are deacons, the servant. It literally comes from the thought of a waiter. It probably became a slang in the church, uh, a world like we have in our fellowship we'll call someone who will be an outreach leader or something sometimes you 'll hear the term the door director that uh, I think this is the way it 's still uh, labeled in the trumpet uh, for the staff that uh, uh, Matt Sanderlin right now is the door director and so uh, um, that may be uh, the way it's listed. That goes back to when we used to call the music scene The Door, which we never did here in Rochester, I don't think. But back in a million and a half years ago, when you know dinosaurs just went extinct and the fellowship began, that's when they used to call the music scene The Door. And it's changed the 180, the, the, uh, the underground, etc. It's had numbers of names. And so... Uh, that's what it probably came from—the thought of the seven table waiters, the first uh, ministries, if you will, in the church that is outside of just the apostles. That were, and so this is probably where the term comes from. All of these issues, where you boil them down, whatever it's talking about—whether it's talking about money, whether it's talking about reputation, whether it's talking about uh, how you handle your marriage, whether it's how it's talking about whether you're friendly and have people in your home—whatever it's talking about, exactly, it's talking about being a Christian. That first and foremost, if you're going to have ministry, you're going to have to have Christian behavior, both in. And outside the church. And this becomes very important. One of the things that our text deals with is do you pay your bills? Is that spiritual? Yes, it is. I had a man in one of the churches I pastored who he never paid his bills. He owed lots of people lots of money. But he would tell me how spiritual he was because he did pay his tithe. I'm like, well, you know what, dude? What you do with the other 90% is kind of as important as what you do with the first 10%. right? If you're paying your tithe and you're not paying your bills, that could ruin your reputation as much as paying your bills and not paying your tithe. How do you treat your spouse? Marriage must be respected, must have, you know, his wife must not be uh, given over to, uh, we'll get to that slander and whatnot, but, you know, be faithful to his wife. I know good people who they seem to treat others very nice, but they treat their spouse like, you know, this is the one who helps you in life. The one who, you know, will pick up your dirty socks. And begins to deal with how is your life? How is your marriage? Like Yeah, but I can I can hit some hot licks, man. Yeah, great, but how's your marriage? Yeah, but I have great ability. Do you gossip? Deals with the issues of gossip and slander. Do you talk bad about other people? That's gossip. That's slander. He begins to deal with areas of in our lives in this text that begin to bring out that ministry is not just talent. It's not just ability. It's not just your, you know, ability to sing or ability to act or ability to play an instrument or ability to, you know, uh, uh, be technical or whatever. It has to do with your heart and your character. And this becomes a major issue in ministry. Second Timothy 2 verse 21 says, If you keep yourself pure... You will be a special utensil for honorable use. If uh, your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you in every good work, which is the same term that Paul uses in First Timothy chapter one, verse First uh, Timothy chapter three, verse one, for the office of a pastor says that our life has purity, our life has character. This means that honorable areas that keep you, this gets into the gray areas of life. You will not find a scripture that says, thus says the Lord, you shall not take the leaf of the tobacco, and you shall not dry it in the sun, yea, not in a kiln, says the Lord, You shall not roll it in a leaf of itself. Yea, you shall not roll it in paper. Yea, you shall not even put it in a pipe, says God, and put fire to it. You shall not take it to your lips. Uh, You shall not take it into your lungs, uh, says the Lord your God. It's not in the Bible. How many know that? Smoking is not in the Bible. And I've had people argue with me, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about smoking. Well, it does talk about the works of the flesh and things like these. It is in there. You know, things like this. But smoking is a bad testimony. It's actually a subtle rebellion, and we'll get to that in just a minute. A subtle rebellion against God. Well, you didn't say that I couldn't do this. I've, You know, sinners are telling us, you know, you hear it all the time. Well, marijuana is legal now. I guess it's okay. When we talk about the main issue, it's actually when you sign the ministry standard, it's actually called a vow of exampleship. That's next week. We'll talk about that. Your life affecting others. But there needs to be more than you just showing up. Happening in your life. And so there also in our text should be evidence of spirituality. Spirituality. I mean, you know, spiritual people, they do things. They pray. They praise, like I ministered this morning. That if you wait for a crisis to pray, if you wait for a crisis to praise God, you're not going to. It doesn't, life doesn't work that way. You will grab in a moment of crisis what is already there and familiar for you to grab. And very rarely have I seen a Christian go through a crisis of life who is not a prayer and turn into a prayer. It does happen, but I think the odds are right up there with missionary dating. For every 100, every 99 that it, you know, for every one that it works for, 99 it doesn't. And so it's kind of that understanding that you see in life that, Spirituality should be there. Praise. Giving God praise in the service. In other times. One thing I do enjoy about our, our janitor here is that I'll, go, I'll be here and I'll go down to the fellowship hall and see him or something. And it's Spanish. I understand that. And I don't understand enough of Spanish. But I do know words like Jesus. <laughs> I do understand that, and he's got praise music on. He's listening, he's praising God. should be seen in your giving. If you have an attitude that tithing is taxes, ah, tax season. right? We're we giving out all the time. You're going to get your two, your W2s or your 1099 or whatever you get right? You'll file your tax. How, how many, be honest, How many enjoy paying taxes? Right, nobody. Why do you treat the tithe like a tack? Why isn't it a joy to give to the one who saved your soul? Do you witness? When is the last time you told somebody about Jesus? I'm not asking when the last time you went on an outreach and just passed out some flyers. Here, 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 here. told somebody about Jesus actually witness to a complete stranger. Somebody you don't know. I, You know, uh, you witness to people, and it, you get all sorts of reactions. That, you know, just Saturday, I went to talk to somebody. He's like, no, nah, no thanks. One guy told me I'm a Muslim. I'm like, he's from Canada. He said, no, nah, I'm from Toronto. I went and handed him a flyer. I was going to talk to him. He's like, no, nah, I'm a Muslim. Uh, I said, where are you from? He's Toronto. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. And so he was flying, going, group of friends, he was probably about as Muslim as I was Catholic. But he's flying, you know. then I witnessed one guy and he said, "Thank you. Thank you for telling stopping me. thank you. You don't know what all reactions will be. Do you read your Bible? Do you give any effort? I know, again, I ministered on that. New Year's, it's kind of the same thing. I don't know if you noticed. Right around January 1st, I'm going to preach on reading your Bible. Give you an opportunity to make a say, you know what, this is the year I'm going to do it. I'm going to read my Bible all the way through. I'm going to make an effort to read my Bible. You don't even have to read it all the way through, just every day. And New Year's in the midst of resolutions, it's a good one. I could go on and on, but in our text... Paul is saying, you know what, there should be the evidence of spirituality. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. Well then, what do I, uh, what, uh, what shall I do? If I pray in the Spirit, I will also pray with words of understanding. If I sing in the Spirit, I will also sing in words of understanding. Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. Don't be drunk with wine, for that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, making me- a music and melody to the Lord in your heart and giving thanks to everyone, uh, giving thanks to everything to God, giving thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you thankful to God? Are you singing? Are you making melody to the Lord in your heart? Lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. This is spirituality. It has to do with how you deal with other people. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26. This makes the harmony among the members. For if all the members care for each other, if one part suffers, then all the parts will suffer with it. If one part is honored then all the parts are glad. Can you be glad when someone else is blessed? Used? By God? It's amazing how some people, they get really upset if someone else is promoted, someone else is used, someone else gets a position that they thought maybe they should have had or been considered for. You know, it's hard sometimes. But that's life. Dear brothers and sisters, Paul writes to the Corinthians. When I was wanted to talk to you, I wanted to talk to you as spiritual people. But I had to talk to you as, you belo- as if you belonged to this world and were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk and not with solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you're still not ready. For you are, uh, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with other people. Don't uh, prove. Doesn't that prove that your sinful nature is in control? Aren't you living as people of the world? What that's talking about, Paul is being very subtle, but it's what he's talking about is the subtle rebellion. That says, God, I don't like your choices. Why does he get to do that? Why does she My wife was had a, a very interesting scenario. A girl came up to her at one point and said, I hated you. Now, what was very interesting is she thought this was one of her best friends. And said, Why? Well, because you get to sing on the platform after the music scene, and I didn't. Couple of things. One is this girl really couldn't sing. Just saying, wasn't a very good singer. Two, my wife didn't actually ask for it. Pastor Campbell just came up to her one day and said, "Hey, sing at the platform." So she did. Wasn't a choice. Wasn't something she was after. This girl got extremely jealous. Why do you get to do that? Our text says ministry is a service to God and it's a work. That you're doing something for God. Your desire to do God. God puts people in places so that they can have opportunity to do something for him. In First Corinthians chapter twelve, verses twenty-seven and twenty-eight, it says, "For all of you together are in Christ's body, and each one of you is part of it." And here are some of the parts that God has appointed for the church: first, the apostles; then the prophets; third, teachers; and those who do miracles; those who have gifts of healing; and those who have uh, who help others; and those who have gifts of leadership; and those who speak in unknown tongues. Says you know, and in the church, there's all sorts of opportunities. There's all sorts of needs. There's administration needs. This would be people who work in the office, maybe count offerings, maybe do uh, uh, ushering, maybe uh, are involved in different other aspects of just simple administration of the flow of a church. That's very needed. There's people who have spiritual leadership ministries, song leader, usher leaders, these kinds of things that would be more in, in sync of leadership and those uh, who would be over in those kinds of things. There'd be the talented, those who can ha- sing and play on the platform and that kind of thing that would be a major help. God puts them in the body Sometimes they come through opportunities, sometimes they come through desires, sometimes they come through knowledge. You know something about sound, you know something about an instrument, you know something about uh, an ability to do something. That's a, that's a ministry that God can use. That God will open a door that you can have a service for Him in that area. But after that is said, it would be good if you then improved or did your best in that area. This is service to God. This is to bring glory to his name. Things change. Life changes. I don't know if you noticed this. Life changes. This came home to me. Actually, recently I was talking with Aiden, and I was talking about flyers. And, we were, and I told him, yeah, we used to have to use press on letters. And he's like, what's a press on letter? Now, how many of you remember press on letters? Basically, it's those who are more mature. How's that for a way around this kind of landmine field that I'm in right now? All the younger people didn't, had no idea. Right? Press-on letters were something you'd buy at a place like Staples or Office Max, those kind of things. This was before computers. This was before we had computers. We had to buy these. You'd go buy the sheets of these. You'd draw a thin, light blue line on the paper, and you'd try to get the letters straight. We still have one flyer. Do you have that picture ready? You show that picture? We still have one flyer of when we did Press On Letters. This was a concert we did. Now this is Press on Letters. I can't I don't know if you can see, but the letters aren't straight. They're not perfectly straight. It's not this type, it's not like we could sit down in a computer and pick of ninety-seven different fonts. Right? This was you bought these, you probably had two choices, three choices. Of fonts. And so, a Carrot, my wife did this. You'd buy this little pen. It's not really a pen. It would be a metal end and it would have a little ball on it and you'd be rubbing over the letter and you hope. And if you screwed up, there was no going back and redoing it. You didn't erase it, you started over. And go through these sheets of this paper to do a flyer like that. That's probably from 1988. And uh, you press on, it, my wife did that. And when we did it, black ink, one color on your paper. And it costs more than the flyers that we get today in full color, two sides, all that kind of good stuff. That's the way it was. Technology was different. When I got saved, you can take it down, but when I got saved, my wife did the overhead. Not when I got saved, but right before we got married. She would do the overhead. Now, an overhead was a a funny-looking ostrich-like machine that you'd put these clear transparencies on, go through a couple of mirrors, and project on the wall. We actually have one still upstairs in... The museum, I mean Sunday school, but it's like it's you know they use it to draw big pictures sometimes. But you know it's like this was high tech technology. When I went to Trinidad the very first time, this is what the evangel the missionary there asked me to bring. What could I bring? What could the church buy? What do you need? He said we need an overhead projector. And I said, okay, we bought it, And because uh, we went down, customs stopped me, and we had to pay, uh, you know, I think it was 100 bucks to bring it into the country, which is almost what it costs. But, you know, he was happy to have it, because that was high-tech technology. You get the songs, otherwise you had little printed books with 25 songs, and that was it. That, when I pioneered, that's what I had. 25 songs, that was our choice. Turn to page 3, we're going to sing song, Power in the Blood. Things changed. Lights were hot. Sermons were recorded on cassette tapes. There were no iPads. This is this is dream. I used to have to come to church with my sermon, a Bible, my calendar, and then do everything and now it's all here. It's all right now. I have everything and more than I could ever dream right here. I have translate, I can get different translations of the Bible almost instantly. Before it was nothing like that. Not only that, in spiritual speaking, when we got saved, I mentioned this morning, we didn't pray for the sake. That was new to us. That came around in the 90s that Pastor Mitchell began to contend, and you can do this. We had no idea that there was an opportunity to pray. We would just pray and so that we learned that became an evolution. If you're going to learn to pray for the sick and how to see people healed. When I got saved on Cape Cod, they never dreamed at that moment of being a conference center. And how that launched a different aspect in church planting and all these new levels of life. I say all that to say this. Right, there were no videos. There was no Amazon to download. When we bought a, when we got a movie, it came on real sixteen millimeter reel to reel, and it cost about hundred and fifty dollars. To put that in perspective, today that would have filled my car probably ten or eleven times. Gasoline. So, what does it cost to fill your car? Fifty bucks. So, this would be the equivalent of five to six hundred dollars today. So, when we got those movies to rent and show, we used them, we showed them everywhere. There are some movies that I can recite to you verbatim because of we've watched them so many times. Now we have videos. We can simply go on and download them, and for three bucks, show them to the church. And it's like, wow. Some of them are even free. Right. But what's fascinating to me is that technology has changed. Have you improved your ministry? We know that life has gone on. That means sometimes you're going to have to learn something new. This is service to God. You're going to have to update. Be willing to move into a new realm and a new ability to take it out of. The old. I mean, could you imagine if we were still passing out flyers like that? What do you mean you don't care? Right? We need color, and I understand it's our generation, and I understand uh, it's the way of the that the world is moved. But you know, to improve your particular ministry. I mean, I I, I know God bless a lot of young women who went out as pastor's wives and they could just plunk the keys. There is plunk, 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 plunk. All right, They're trying, they're, God bless them. But if you've been playing an instrument for 10 years and you're still plunk, 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 Maybe it's time to either take some lessons or say it's not for you. To move on and to realize that as you're trying to do your best, and maybe that was good enough back then, but maybe it's not what you need to be doing today. And the way I could just illustrate it, if God was your boss... Would you still have a job if you treated your job like you treated a ministry like that? And you're still trying to just get by on the old way. That's what Paul is saying is that there's got to be evidence of improvement before God. Second Corinthians 2.17 For you see, we are not like many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word with sincerity, with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. The thought here of the word huckster is literally someone who would dilute the wine, water it down, and serve it as if it were full strength. And say, well, that's good enough. Ministry then, can't be like that. It's before God, striving to do your best. I know you can't every time. There are good days and there are bad days. I understand that. There I believe me, I preached enough bad sermons to know that you know what it's the way it is. There's times I've really gotten down from and I've said, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I put your people through that. I really there have been many times. I made a statement one time and at a conference, and Pastor Joe Campbell was there, and he, re- he reminded me of this of years. He loved it. I, you know, I said, in Chicopee, when I pastored there, I preached well over 1,100 sermons. And I honestly believe that probably 40 of them were good. And he laughed. He thought, that was great. He's like, yeah, yeah I can relate to that. But striving, I've seen my old notes, I had been overseas for many years and we had left stuff back here and I went home and uh, got some old notes and looking at them and I'm like, wow, this wouldn't even be a point in a sermon today. Because I had improved over years and that's, it's gotta happen to all of us. So our text tells us, live like you mean it. Live like you mean it. You're serving God. In your ministry, you're serving God. Live like you mean it. Our text tells us, so a church leader must be a man whose life is. And then he lists. He says of the deacon, in the same way deacons must be. And he lists. Things we have to live up to. Far beyond performance or far beyond just talent or knowledge. It has to be character. As I mentioned this morning, it's about pleasing and praising God. Ultimately, at the end of the day, ministry isn't about you, it's about bringing glory to God. It's about allowing God's will to be done and setting the atmosphere for God to move. And whether that's behind the scenes and the technology or the lights or the sound or the ushering or the nursery or whatever, or it's an opportunity to be in front and have people hear and see and whatever, it's the opportunity for God to move. That's what it is. Preaching is not about me. It's about the opportunity of the Holy Spirit to help and encourage and convict and deal with people. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1:12 I think the Lord uh, uh, our Lord Christ Jesus who has given me the strength to do his work. God wants to give us the strength to do his work. Not our work, his work. Doing our best for him. It's the mark of those with pleasure with God. It ends, our text ends with the deacons and it says, if you do well, as a deacon you'll be rewarded with respect from others. You'll have increased confidence in your faith in Christ Jesus. When you're striving and God blesses you, when God helps you, when God's glory is upon you, there are the moments you can shine and maybe people will clap. But there are other times where it's just simply the confidence that you have in God. I have two services I will never forget, never forget, since I've been a pastor. Two different times, services, where the presence of God was so thick. And what amazed me is both times were when I was pioneering and it was just me and Carrie in the building. Actually, the first time was in Falmouth, Massachusetts. We had just opened. We had just started Wednesday. We would shown three movies. Back in the day, we called them the big three. They were end times movies. Friday night, uh, that was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I had a preacher come in and he preached. And then Sunday... We had church. We had people show up Sunday morning. and We had, I think, nine people in this our very first Sunday morning service. Very Sunday night, nobody. Just me and my wife. And we began to play. And, and you can ask her. We just, I, I played acoustic guitar. Or maybe I played bass. I can't remember. I've slept since then. But Kerry would play an old, we had an old Fender Rhodes piano. Which, uh, I won't... Bore you with the details, but she's playing, I'm playing, just the two of us in the service, and the presence of God built that building. And we both began to weep, we both began to feel, and it's like, I, we hadn't been out long enough to be discouraged yet. That nobody was there. Now, I'll get to that in just a minute, but we hadn't been out long enough to be discouraged, we're just, it's our first weekend. And we've had people all week week long. We've had visitors and such. And the presence of God was so tangible that I know that God shows up in church services where two or three are gathered. I I honestly believe he said two or three for, for pioneer pastors. You, your wife, and maybe your teenage kid. You know, that's enough. God will be there. The second time was in uh, Cork, Ireland. We had pastored there. We had, had we initial break. I had 16 people. I, we were open just a couple of weeks. I had 16 men in a Bible study on a Wednesday night. 16 men pioneering. Carrie was the only woman. That What was funny is Sunday morning, we'd have church, we'd have about six people. They'd all be women, and I'd be the only guy. It was kind of a funny thing. But then I had to deal with a man who was coming and literally he's in the one room lying to me on how he just rents a room from this girl and they're not, there's no relation. She's in there saying, no, oh, no, he's my boyfriend and we sleep together and da, da, da. And so I have to deal with him. And so anyway, as soon as I dealt with him, a lot of the, you know, our Bible study went from 16 men to 3 men. And so whatever. And then Sunday morning, nobody showed up. Sunday night, nobody showed up. Some people showed up for the Bible study on Wednesday, Sunday. Three weeks in a row we went by. Nobody was there. On that third week, we're there, and I'm, I'm, now I'm getting discouraged. Because we had people. I left the church with people. I preached to people. Now I got, you know, gosh, there's nobody here. What's going on? But God showed up. God came into that service. I felt the presence of God, and my wife and I—we knew that God was there. And it was like, you know, we went home, and it wasn't—we weren't as discouraged as we had been. And then, just a couple of weeks later, we had a major breakthrough. Eleven people just waiting for us—we were late. It's a long, crazy story. I think I've told before, but uh, we were late. Show up, the eleven people there—three get saved, and we—we we never not had people again. But in those church services, God came just for me and my wife. Just for me and my wife. He met with us in church just for me and my wife. If you do right in your ministry, I can promise you, you may not be the only one in the service, but I can promise you, God will meet with you. And that your confidence is, you know, what here's the city of Cork, Ireland, 140,000 people. We had witnessed and witnessed and witnessed and witnessed, and on the streets and all that kind of stuff. And they knew we were there, but maybe they didn't come. But God knew we were there. And my faith was greatly encouraged to know that God was there to help us. If you just function in ministry as if it's a job to perform you never give yourself to improve it, you never give yourself to make the best of what you can be in your ministry, then you may never have an experience like that. But if you just give the effort, God is faithful to give you the confidence in your ministry that when you're overwhelmed and when you're discouraged and when all hell rages against your life and all bill, you know bills come out of nowhere and you know uh, you know uh, demons manifest or whatever, whatever it is you, you have a confidence in Christ. you know that God is going to help you that is found by the mark of pleasure that God will put on people who serve him with a whole heart. Let's bar heads with just a moment. Ministry is to please God. The problem with sin is sin leaves us in a place where we cannot please God. The Bible is very clear that no one has the ability to do it on your own. When you start out in life sinning, you can't make God happy and sin at the same time. Sin is not a, it's not a disease or a, it's a character problem. It's a heart problem. It's something that separates us from God, but Jesus Christ came to forgive us and cleanse us of our sins. And that as we do that, receive Him in our hearts, God does the rest. He cleanses us, He changes us. He forgives us. He makes us new. And if you've never done that and you want to do that this morning or you, you are this evening and you, or you did it one time and you turned away, you want to come back to Jesus, I wonder if you would very quickly slip up your hand say, Would you pray for me? I'm not right with God. I need Jesus Christ to come into my heart. I need God to meet me. Very quickly, slip up your hand. Put it right back down. Say, Pray for me. I need Jesus Christ. I need God to help me. I need to be born again. Changing the call then to Christians. Ministry is the opportunity to please God. Not just show your talents or your abilities or, hey, look what I can do. I'm all for doing it professionally. I'm all for making it the best we can be. And out of that is not to show other people. It's to show God. God, thank you. God, thank you that you saved me. That you would use me in your plan in the, on planet earth right now in this time. Thank you. And I'm going to give you my best. I'm going to do what is right and if you require this or I'm going to also be the Christian I'm going to witness I'm going to pray I'm going to praise I'm going to give I'm going to do those things that I'm going to read my Bible those things I know are going to help my spiritual life so that I can serve you better. And that's what Paul's list is about. You do these things and it's going to matter how you treat your wife. It's going to matter how you pay your bills. It's going to matter what you're doing on a Tuesday evening. It's going to matter what you're going to do and how you, if you're gossiping. It's going to matter how we approach these things in life. Say, well, I just usher. I just, I just sing i just it's going to matter it's going to matter for you it's going to matter in the congregation it's going to matter for your destiny let's all stand these altars are open we're going to take time and give god praise worship him as these find a place to pray you delivered
1: me from darkness unto